0: We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Carol Martin and Sophie Morasti. Along with being one of the poorest neighborhoods in the country, and being stigmatized in pretty much every way an urban neighborhood can be, Vancouver's downtown East Side has also been described as ground zero for violence against Indigenous women. Who better, then, to describe the injustices that are the basis of the violence that Indigenous women and girls face, and to articulate the steps we all must take to eradicate that violence, than the Indigenous women of the downtown East Side? The Downtown Eastside Women's Centre recently facilitated a community process in which 113 Indigenous women and 15 non-Indigenous women from the neighbourhood participated, shared, discussed, and decided. They brought together their insights, their stories, and their challenges, and identified the changes that they see as necessary to bring about justice. The process was funded with money from the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, and its results will be submitted to the inquiry. Unlike most of the seemingly endless stream of research done in and about neighborhoods like the downtown east side, this process was not imposed by outsiders, but was guided and enacted at every step by women from the neighborhood, mostly indigenous women. A report based on this process, called Red Women Rising, Indigenous Women Survivors in Vancouver's Downtown East Side, was published at the beginning of April. It can be downloaded from the Women's Center's website at dewc.ca. One premise of this project is that the violence that indigenous women face cannot be understood in isolation. Rather, quote, "...individual experiences of violence are inseparable from state violence, including loss of land, forced poverty, homelessness, child apprehension, criminalization within the justice system, and health disparities." End quote. In each of these areas, the report brings together the words of the women who participated in the process with a review of relevant published research. The violence that women face in the downtown east side includes the many, many ways that the Canadian state and settler society have harmed and continue to harm indigenous women. Everything from criminalization of land defenders, to the theft of children, to lack of affordable housing, to police harassment, and much, much more. A key feature of the report is the inclusion of the stories of many of the women told at length and in their own words. Even without the accompanying research, these powerful stories cut to the core of what Canada is, and the gendered colonial violence it's based on. Another key goal of the project was to center the ways in which the indigenous women in the downtown east side refuse to be statistics or stereotypically passive victims. Rather, it makes visible their active, ongoing work not only to survive, but to support each other and to push for change. The report includes 200 recommendations, including 35 key recommendations that were brought up repeatedly by participants. Today's interviewees identified the first two of those as particularly crucial, recognizing full indigenous jurisdiction over the land and lawmaking, and restoring the roles that indigenous women traditionally held in leadership, in keeping knowledge, and in holding title to the land in many nations. Other recommendations include tackling sexism in the Indian Act, ending the apprehension of Indigenous children, holding police accountable for violence, strengthening tenant rights, raising social assistance rates, introducing and expanding various Indigenous services in the downtown East Side, and much more. Taken together, they not only point towards what must be done to end violence against Indigenous women, but they suggest how centering the voices and struggles of Indigenous women would lead to a more fair and just society for all of us. Carol Martin is a Niska woman. She's been involved in the Downtown Eastside for almost 30 years. She works at the Downtown Eastside Women's Center and is co-author of the Red Women Rising Report with Harsha Walia. Sophie Morasti is a Dene Sulene and Woodland Cree woman. She's also been part of the Downtown Eastside for almost 30 years. She works in the performing arts and was actively involved in the project. I speak with Martin and Morasti about Red Women Rising.
1: My name is Sophie Marasty. I'm of the Denisolini Nations, which is part of the Athabascan and Woodland Cree. I'm from northern Manitoba, a small remote community by the name of Brochet on the northwest tip of Reindeer Lake. I've lived in Vancouver for over 30 years. I'm 55 years old. I'm a grandmother. I have worked in the arts for over 30 years in the performing arts. I am an actor, have directed, produced, and am currently working on a project with women in the downtown Eastside. We work with women who have experienced homelessness or are currently experiencing homelessness. What we're doing is we're bringing various art forms to workshops to help them explore their stories of being homeless. And for me, it's a real going concern because homelessness is one of the issues that surround missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls in this country. And a lot of women live in very impoverished states and being homeless leaves them vulnerable to all kinds of things.
2: My name is Carol Martin. I'm Niska. My dad is from the Hazleton area. My mother's Niska. I grew up with my grandparents in a small reserve up the Nass River, but I was also part of the Sixty Scoop. I was put in a group home, became more of the courts. I started working down here almost 30 years ago. So long history in the downtown east side, quite aware of a lot of the issues that our people face down here. I work as a community-based victim service worker here at the Women's Center, but that doesn't stop me from doing what needs to be done down here. I'm involved in anything that has to do with missing and murdered women. I sit on Sister Watts. I'm part of the Coalition for Missing and Murdered Women, help coordinate the Feb 14 Memorial March, so lots of history down here. And I have five girls and one boy. And I'm very passionate about pushing our women's issue forward as long as I'm walking alongside the women who are the experts and leaders in our community. The National Inquiry gave us funding to do some focus group to get input from the women from our community. And as you know, the downtown east side has been researched to death. They've come down here, got a lot of stories, a lot of input from women in the community. But there's none so rare as this one, where we hired the women from the community. They led the focus groups. They asked a lot of questions to the women. And the groups are run in a different setting where, you know, women were more comfortable with each other and they knew each other. So they were able to share their stories or share what they've gone through in this community. We wanted to give voice to the women. One thing we had to do was support the women from the community because they are leaders and experts in the community. A lot of them volunteer, a lot of them do a lot of work for some organizations. So where else do we get the truth about what women are really dealing with? So Red Woman Rising is unique in the sense that all this raw data that's been collected is all put together in one booklet so that people can have access to the real lives, real stories of women from the community. And anything that has to do with violence or poverty or anything that contributes to our life this has been all put together in here with so many recommendations, but the key recommendations that have been compiled together, you know, because of so many women coming together, similar to what other women have spoken about. And this book is our submission to the National Inquiry from the women, yeah, so from
1: the experts. Yes, the data that Carol is talking about, there were a few of us facilitators that had a set of questions that we asked the women in focus groups. And we recorded their input. And so all of the statements and the stories come directly from the women themselves. And a lot of them are family members of missing and murdered Indigenous women as well. And so it's quite comprehensive and it's amazing. Like, I mean, really, it's raw material that is difficult to read because the stories are heartbreaking. So basically, the stories and the comments and the recommendations all come from the women from the downtown east side of Vancouver.
2: Yeah, about 113 Indigenous women and about 15 non-Indigenous women. When women are all together down here, a lot of them are isolated from families or ostracized. So they create their own family. Families of the heart, it's called. And as you know, that's really an important part of women, especially from down here. And as you also know that this area here is known as the ground zero for violence against Indigenous women. So women down here are no longer, they're not silent victims or statistics or stereotypes. They're leaders. They're women who are the experts. Anytime researchers come down here, anytime a story is taken, what happens is it gets re-edited. It gets redefined, it gets reshaped. it gets changed. So the contents of it gets lost. Yeah. Anything that impacts our lives gets lost somehow, especially when organizations use them to apply for funding. When you want to talk about violence against women, this book is real. It's telling you the full story of women, the impact of what they've endured and what they continue yeah. to. You want to talk about violence against women, we have to talk about those little details too that makes a difference in our lives. We're tired of being polished up and filtered through to be conditioned a certain way so that money can be applied for. And so when you look at this, realize that this is real. The attitude and the conditioning of people and how they look at us needs to be changed. People who read this, you've got to question yourself too what comes into your mind when you read this? What do you think about when you see red women rising? What does that mean to you? What kind of feelings are being brought into your body? Our whole system and our society needs this change also. They need to heal. Because I think Canada has done such a huge job of smearing our images, whether it's yes. media, the movies, stories, books, especially down here. What do people hear about the downtown Eastside? They hear about drugs, violence, prostitution. So when people read stories like this, that's a human being you're listening to or reading about. That's a woman trying to survive in the thick layers of stereotypes, stigmatization, racism, discrimination. An image of who we are has been painted over the years. We are only seen as this. And it's not just violence against women that we're dealing with. It's not just from men. It's from women, it's from organizations, it's from police. Everywhere we go affects our lives and racism is killing us. Stereotype is killing us. The labels are killing us because we get treated as less than because the system has spent so many years painting this negative image of who they want us to be seen as. So this book here is
1: about who we are. What Carol is talking about is the systemic racism and the violence against women is all by design. I believe that it all goes back to colonization and how Indigenous people have been displaced and dispossessed of their land and disenfranchised. In Canada, there's so much discrimination or ignorance. Many non-Indigenous people will say that they didn't know this had happened historically. The legacy of residential school, the 60s group, the disenfranchisement of Native War veterans, for instance, who had gone to the war and then come back and were not allowed to live on a reserve, So their status was taken away from them. There are so many different types of injustices historically, and a lot of people still are surprised to find out that all this happened to us, that the Canadian government has been committing cultural genocide against us. The education system, the residential school, substandard education was taught in those places and much abuse. And then there's the health system. All of these things have set us up to be traumatized and to not function as well as we could. You know, families have had children taken from them on the basis of them living poverty. But poverty in our Indigenous communities is another design was down. When I told my story, I had enough of living in shame and living in fear and not speaking up because of the violence that I had faced in my own life. And I found my voice in my work as an actor. But had I not found a way to speak about and express myself, I might have very well ended up as one of the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls because I did not have the support that I needed for many years to improve the quality of life for myself. And anybody who's lived through various traumas and losses, which is a lot of our Indigenous people who struggle, any human being, Indigenous or not. But as Indigenous people, we seem to have faced even so much more. And there's a lot of people who are ignorant and who blame us, you know, victim-blaming. When they don't understand why some of our people are in these difficult places in their lives and can't seem to get out. The issue with the missing and murdered woman, you know, it may be a serial killer like Picton.
0: Uh, and that's referring to Robert Picton, a serial killer in Vancouver, many of whose victims were indigenous women from the downtown East Side.
1: But I think there's more. He is just one man. There are systems in place that kill women, not just the serial killers. The issue with the serial killers is they feel that they can get away with this because our lives are not as valued. Like Carol was saying, we have these stigmas against us of being a junkie, a drunk, whatever. These are the ways that we are seeing. And they're not true. Absolutely not true. If Canadians were to sit down with Indigenous people, they would find out that we are real people with feelings, we have dreams, we have hopes, we have love, we have families, we have needs like anybody else, but our lives have not been valued, have not been respected.
0: One of the things that jumped out at me in the report, and that both of you have touched on as well, is that, yes, it talks about the injustices, but it also talks about all of the ways that Indigenous women in the Downtown East Side are actively doing things that are supporting each other and working to make change. What are some of the ways that Indigenous women in the Downtown East Side are doing those things?
2: The book is a very powerful firsthand realities of violence, residential school, colonization, land resource extraction, family trauma, poverty, labor, housing, child welfare, being too spirited, police, prison, the legal system, the opiate crisis, health care, and so much more. I'm considering all that and everything that surrounds us. And it all comes, you know how the onion is it's all layered. And and down here are so. I have, to, I, have to, I have to tell you this. How personal it was for me to come down here to see the realities of my people 30 years ago. I was brought up in a white group home. I was conditioned and brainwashed a certain way, and I didn't realize this until I started hanging around with my own people. I actually found myself mm-hmm. down here. I didn't realize I had on the Canadian lens and presented myself as such. And when I say I found myself down here, I started looking out at Native eyes. It made such mm-hmm. a difference. And the support that I got down here, when you talk about support down here, that is the support that, you know, when you get beaten up or when you're homeless or when you're dealing with child apprehension or when you're dealing with police brutality or going through the court system or you can't get into this housing or that home or because of racism, you know, mm-hmm. where else are women going to find that support? or that acknowledgement of, you know, having to deal Mm -hmm. with all this. We find each other. We support each other. And a lot of our women who are part of this group, who have pulled themselves out of all this, everything that I've named, they manage to pull themselves up and they volunteer and they give back to the community or they're doing outreach Mm -hmm. for women till 12 midnight, you know, in a community. The very, very frontline work that has been done has been done a lot by a lot of the women from this community. When you talk about Mm -hmm. support, you know, little things that we don't think about, you know, like a pack of gum or something or a pack of cigarettes where we share with each other. We sit and talk and we comfort each other. And we know the realities of what we face when we have to deal with everything that I have named Mm -hmm. and acknowledging the pain and hurt that we carry, the trauma. And we create our own families down here. We build that relationship. We never forget. We celebrate birthdays, we eat lunch together, we go to memorial marches or we go to rallies or we go to you know when mm-hmm. someone has died. we sit in silence with each others you know and it's quite heartbreaking, but it's also very strong. There's a layer of life down here that people don't see. All mm-hmm. you see when you come down in this area is just the surface, all the labels, the stigmatization, the discrimination. This Canadian system has pushed us into their poverty, their poverty, and everything they've taken from us. We're so busy in survival mode because we're dealing with so much racism. We're dealing with so much attitudes and beliefs about who people see us as. If I have to go and look for housing, do you think it's going to be easy for me to find housing or my children, even though I'm working? Do you know the struggles I have to put up with, with keeping my family together? the social workers, you know, the police. I mean, I had four social workers and five policemen soap at my door last summer trying to take my grandbabies from me because something happened between the mother and the father. And I happened to have the children and they knew the children were at my house. And I'm standing there shaking in my shoes, (laughs) but I refuse Mm. to let them come in and take my grandkids. The realities of our life, and how we support each other, and what we do about it. We have to all start standing together. And if you sit together in a room full of Indigenous women, we can talk about all these different things that impact our lives, and where, where are our rights in there. You know, our autonomy within our community was destroyed by the Canadian system, because they seen the power that we have. So this Red Woman Rising book reflects our stories. It reflects how everything about this Canadian system has impacted our lives. The toll it's taken on our lives is that racism, discrimination, labels, everything that this Canadian government has done to our lives, the very foundation of this Canadian system is killing us. And everything goes back to our land. That's right. You get rid of the women. You target the women. The women had a lot of autonomy in their communities. And you're trying to have full access to our land by getting rid of our women. You look in the court system. It's filled with our people. You go to the welfare system. It's filled with our children who have been stolen from us. You go to the jail system. They're just filled with our people, our youth. Everything about who we are as First Nations people has been sabotaged, even our images of who we are. So this book, Red Women Rising, means a lot because from the very depths of a poverty-stricken system that has the poorest postal code, we are going to be rising. The women from the community, the red women who live in this area, are rising above it all.
1: The women, they know what's happening. And so you'll also see the resilience in the stories, the strength I mean, it takes an incredible amount of strength to be able to tell a story when so many things have happened, like your children were taken, you were abused, you were raped, a family member was killed, you're living in poverty. To be able to tell a story so heartbreaking and yet come out like a lot of stories come out and they say, you know, but I'm still here and I'm still fighting. You can kill some of us, but you can't kill us all. So the beauty is in the resilience and the strength of these women.
0: Among the 200-plus recommendations and 35 key recommendations that emerged from this process, what are the ones that you would most want to highlight to listeners? Do
2: you know what I think the government would be afraid of from all these recommendations? would be the full Indigenous jurisdiction. The very first one that's on page 155. Implementation of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People at all levels of government. Assertion of Aboriginal title over land, jurisdiction over all areas of lawmaking, and restoration of collective Indigenous women's rights and governance. And I think the next one would probably scare him is the act of Indigenous women's leadership. It's turning back the pages of time and reversing everything that the Canadian government has done to our image as Indigenous women. And I blame the Canadian government for all this and the very foundation of this occupied land they call Canada for what they've implemented and what resonates out to how everything is affecting our lives.
1: I would really want exactly what Carol said with the UNDRIP. And I have to go back to how Canadians have been lied to about our history, Mm -hmm. our Indigenous history in this country. Because a lot of them still don't know and are ignorant about what's happened historically. So I would want Canadians to really look at that and examine themselves as well and why they have these biases, why they have these ideas, where did that come from, and unlearn unlearn racism. There's a lot of information right now. You can go online and check out the Truth and Reconciliation Report. You can just go online and explore any Indigenous nation in this country, and there will be information there. Go online and look at how residential schools operated and what their purpose was. And educate yourselves. I think awareness is the first step in opening up the minds and getting rid of these stigmas, these discriminations, and these lies about us.
0: What else connected to the Red Women Rising Project would you want listeners to understand?
2: I would just like people... If they do have the opportunity to read the book, to focus on themselves too when they're reading it, what they're thinking about, why they think this Mm -hmm. way, where did this thought come from, people outside the circle of our lives need to also change. They need to refocus and they need to remove those lenses that have been put in front of them and they need to look at what is happening, why is it happening, start questioning themselves about why they feel the way they do. And to be honest, and when reading this report, you know, listen, read, read it as many times as you have to, and question yourself about a lot of why we feel the way we do. Just want people to start planting little seeds of change in how they look at us. Yes,
1: and on that note, I also think it's important that Canada, Canadians participate in this process of reconciliation because they can't expect us to do all the work. They have to participate. One good example of reconciliation, it was in an article I read somewhere. A rancher has given the land back to the Indigenous people, the land that he was ranching on, and he gave it to the neighboring reserve. I mean, that is an example of true reconciliation, sharing the resources. Well, we're busy picking
2: up lives down here, we have a
1: lot of defenders
2: of the land out there, protecting our land yeah. and our water. Question yourself about why these things are happening. Find out. Don't just assume and don't just take someone else's story about why we're doing what we do. It's time for change to start taking
1: care. Yeah. And start supporting issues, especially with the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girl issues. Help. Us find solutions to keep our Indigenous women and girls safe. Our sacred Mother Earth, too. We're all connected yeah. to her. So, of course, but you I destroy didn't... our image of who yeah. we are. You destroy our Mother Earth. And I feel strongly that this is part of the debt that Canada owes
0: us. You have been listening to my interview with Carol Martin and Sophie Morasti. To learn more about the Red Women Rising Project and to read the report, go to DEWC.ca and click on the link for Red Women Rising. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to TalkingRadical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.